this week on the It's a Monkey podcast. You've got to want to do it. You've got to live it, breathe it. Um, before you just try and jump on the new shiny thing. So I think your your listeners, first of all, need to really um, audit themselves and, and kind of look at, right, let me write down the five things that I'm most passionate about in life. Even if it's like eating peanut butter or, or whatever, just write down like the five most passionate things you're, things you're passionate about. And then write down the five things that you're best at. What are the things that you do? Like it could be you're an amazing sports player. It could be you're amazing at writing books or whatever it is and then cross-reference those to see are there any crossovers of things that you're incredibly passionate about and things that you're incredibly good at and if you are lucky enough to have something that that crosses at the top where you're really passionate about it and you're incredibly good at it that is where you can become incredible at whatever it is you do Good morning, good evening, hello wherever you are in the world. It is Thursday the 11th of May. We've been a little bit naughty. We missed a week because uh, we we run a startup, we're building two products, um, we're a small team. Sometimes we literally just run out of time slash headspace space slash energy. But here we are, we're back with episode 92 of the It's a Monkey podcast. We talk about everything relating to tech, startups, entrepreneurship, and we interview thought leaders in the space. And excited to say that later on in the show, we're going to be playing an interview that I did with Daniel Knowlton. Now, Daniel is one of uh, a top, he's a top 100 digital marketing influencer, and he's the co-founder of KPS Digital Marketing. And he's a writer for SME Examiner, and uh, Daniel is pretty young, but he's got a very successful social media business. And I actually chatted to him a, a more actually about the entrepreneurship journey, which was quite interesting. We bounced around some um, experiences and some thoughts. We also spoke a little bit about social media and the state of play with social media. That's coming up later on in the show. But as usual, we have the tech news. And boy, as I say every time, and I've said for the last 92 episodes, there's always so much going on that Kate and I struggle to choose two stories. One day I'd love to just do a two-hour episode a day where we just thrash out the latest news. But with me, as always, is a slightly <laughs> sick Kate Frappel, who's the design lead at Manage Flitter. Kate, thanks for joining us. No worries. You just have to put up with my croaky voice for a little while. That's okay. It seems like half of Sydney is uh, sick with colds and, and flu. So um, as long as you're here and alive and kicking, that's fine. So Kate, lots going on as always. Now, Yik Yak. It's no, I, don't, I don't know if we've ever spoken about Yik Yak on the show. We may have in mm. the very, very early days. Yik Yak shuts down and they sold their team for $1 million to Square. And Square, of course, being Jack Dorsey's other company and Jack Dorsey of Twitter fame. Jack Dorsey created Twitter. Jack Dorsey is in the unique position of being CEO of two listed companies, Brave Man, mm -hmm. and one of them is Square. And Yik Yak shut down and all the developers moved to Square for the grand total of $1 million. Now, Yik Yak had raised $74 million from investors and at its peak in 2014 was worth $400 million. And this just shows you how crazy the startup world is, right? They raised a mm. ton of money from leading investors, right? The top tier of venture capital companies had backed them and they were doing really well and the valuation of, of it raised it on a valuation of $400 million and um, have struggled to find their space in the social media marketplace. Yeah, definitely. I think they're, um, they had a lot of competition and they're sort of in this space where there's a lot of cyberbullying and plenty of problems, particularly because the app is around 
uh, anonymous messaging. Yeah, so Yik Yak um, was very much focused on the initially on the university um, student segment, and it was yes, it was around this anonymous messaging where there were other apps called Secret, Whisper. They all went the same way. They all had issues with bullying and, and shut them down. Some of them with a lot of money still in the bank. I think Secret mm. still had quite a bit of money in the bank, but they just said they couldn't get around this bullying issue. Mm. There's uh, a few a few new apps of the same description, I guess, but they got a slightly different twist. One is called Blind. Mm-hmm. Uh, which a lot of the big tech companies are getting on. So if you work for these particular companies, Facebook or basically lots of the ones in Silicon Valley, you can log into this app with your work email, but somehow it doesn't identify you. Mm-hmm. And you can ask questions about salaries, working conditions, ethics, anything you like. And other people in the community and from other companies can answer you anonymously. It's, it's sort of like glass door in a way. Similar. Similar yeah, to, but I, I thought it was an interesting take on um, like the anonymous messaging. They found a, a niche where it works. I definitely see the benefits of anonymous forums. I mean, in the first incarnations of the internet in the 90s, everything was anonymous. You mm. know, a lot of the forums, internet relay chat, um, Usenet groups, um, which a lot of people wouldn't, won't even know what that is, but they were like discussion forums. Mm. It was all about anonymity. And a lot of the time we, we had no idea who we were talking to. And Facebook really was the first time that suddenly the internet became real. Right, and you put a name to and something. You put a name to something. You know, pre Facebook, it was all anonymous, and mm-hmm. you would only, after knowing someone for a long time, would you sort of, you know, share a GIF or a JPEG of yourself or something. Yeah. So we've been there before, and it actually, I guess, it was more an enthusiastic type of. There were enthusiasts only. I used Yik Yak when I was in New York a couple of years ago. I found it really interesting. It was mm-hmm. really, really interesting. I used it quite a bit. It wasn't too bad into that i mean they had this upvoting downvoting system so if if there was bullying or things like that things got downvoted and spat out really quickly so i never really saw any problem with it but i when i left new york i stopped using it i think it worked Mm. in new york because there's such a critical mass of people there and the counter argument to the bullying of these anonymous apps is that it can actually help with bullying, right? Because you have yeah. people that can actually share and get support from anonymous people as in a way that they're not judged for who they are or mm. their age or their background or something like this. So there's there's something to be worked out there and I'm sure someone will crack the the, the, the magic at some stage of this formula. Yeah, funnily enough, there's a another new-ish app. Uh, I tried it out just before, um, just before the show and it's called Seven Cups. And it's a advertiser's an active non-judgmental chat. So you can have the option to be a listener or a speaker. And um, yeah, they target that kind of, it's a, it's a safe place. You can go and be anonymous and talk about your problems. And you can also upgrade to a therapist. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I'll check that out. I mean, the huge value to anonymity. You know, I mean, I think Twitter faces this issue, right? Where on Twitter, different to Facebook, you don't have to be yourself on Twitter, right? Mm. You can, you're not allowed to impersonate someone real, but you can uh, be satire or you can just mm. be a, a faceless an account, yeah. which is good in a way, but it's bad because of the trolling and the abuse. Then there's no accountability, right? Yeah, Zero definitely. accountability. So you need somehow these checks and balances. Um, in mm. there interestingly uh the yikak founders 
sort of, well, some of them are behind a new app called Hive. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar idea, they're going back to their roots back in um, like the college space. And it's a, a mix sort of between Facebook groups and Slack. So you can join classes, communities, just social groups um, like around your college and then connect on the app. I see with Facebook groups, I mean, these days, you know, Facebook groups are just a massive success. And there's Facebook groups for everything under the sun. And if you want to join a Facebook group that perhaps is of a sensitive nature, not necessarily anything untoward, but perhaps it's a sensitive health condition or something like that, people have to go through the trouble of setting up a fake account and things mm-hmm. like that if they don't That's want, true. if they don't want to be above the radar with it, you know, whereas with these apps, they can just come in and, and be cloaked, so to speak, or just be anonymized. Um, so, you know, the internet comes from an era of, of anonymity. So it'll be interesting to see if, if, if we can work it out. But, um, you know, things have also moved on in the sense of, uh, I think people have gotten used to being themselves online you know in the old days it was weird you'd feel very naked very exposed very vulnerable and if 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 someone would prematurely find out who you were but these days people don't think about it right yeah um, i guess it's a it's a permissions thing so if you, you go into facebook and you're saying yes i agree to having my face and my name out there um but if you sign up for something anonymous like Geek Yak and then it gets and you say okay well I'm, I don't want to disclose this information and then somebody hacks it it becomes a problem your cover gets blown I know I know Cora have an anonymous mode where you can post an answer anonymously mm. um, which is quite I've cool I've seen that yeah so um, anyway that's Yik Yak long live Yik Yak mm-hmm. or, or I should say rest in peace Yik Yak um, I saw those guys talk at TechCrunch conference one of the reasons I love going to the TechCrunch conference is they managed to get the founders and the investors of the, the latest buzzy products and uh, you get to talk to them and they were, they were unusually they were from the Midwest in the US so they weren't mm. from the coasts not many, especially um, consumer startups, are actually from the Midwest. Mm. Uh, most of them are from the coasts, either um, San Francisco, LA, or um, New York. Speaking of LA, Snap uh, share price crashed. I know we talk about mm. um, overnight their numbers came out and they weren't very good. And uh, I'll quickly check. I think it. I think it. I think it dropped even below its listing price of uh, seventeen dollars in after hours trading. Yeah. So it's let's see, seventeen thirty nine. So Snap listed i think at 17 or 18 uh, went right up to um 20 20 something 24 25 and then came right back down now so interesting they they face a massive uphill battle as we've spoken we won't get into it but uh, mm. um, massive up i mean mark zuckerberg he is intent on squashing them you can just see yes. it <laughs> and he's got resources he's got market penetration um, but Snap may have to find some other niche and not go head to head. You know, it reminds me in the old days of Google, if you were a startup and if you even uttered the word to your potential investors that, you know, one of our big competitors are Google, you'd be like, oh, forget it. Dream yeah. on. Like you couldn't take on Google. You know, if Google owned the space, that's it. And Facebook's sort of at that place now as well. It's just, wow. you just can't take them on. They, they, they're too, too good. Too big and too good. <laughs> You know, to good. They're doing a lot of good. I mean, the way they launch, the speed with which they launch products and execute well, that ratio of speed to execution, I've never seen it. Mm. It's just, I I take my hat off to them. You compare that to some other companies and it's slow or not as well executed. So um, they're doing a lot Well, Snap just came out with some new features this week. But if you think about how long it took them to add those 
cool little nifty things versus Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp all just copying the entire set of features. It's just nuts. Yeah, and you know, as a listed company, there's a lot of advantages in that it forces you to be disciplined and accountable. But boy, it puts a lot of pressure. The market is unforgiving. The market will be forgiving for a while when it buys into your promise of the future. And then when there's one inkling that you're not delivering on that promise, bam, the Gone. bottom falls out. And mm. then it's very hard to recover that. So not for the not for the faint-hearted. Anyway, the, our other story is, speaking of Facebook, is uh, one of the products that Facebook owns is WhatsApp. They bought that for whatever, $23 billion uh, or something like that. And they launched a status feature a couple of months ago, and which is just literally a way you can share with your WhatsApp um, contacts a a photo or a comment um, story a story so to speak and um, I see that's already hit 175 million users of that feature a day I've only got one person on my contact list that regularly <laughs> uses it it's the same woman on WhatsApp. Posts, on whatsapp she, yeah. she posts a photo with a quote every day on whatsapp that's it I don't have anyone else interesting uh, I don't think I have any and funnily enough Facebook as well I think maybe two people out of the few hundred friends that I have actually use the stories feature. Well, the interesting, um, the tricky thing with WhatsApp as well, if you share a WhatsApp story, all of your WhatsApp contacts or even the people that have WhatsApp that you might not have engaged with get to see that story. Mm. So what happened when I tried it out, right? And, and the good thing is it shows you who, who looks at that story. Yep. So what, I, what happened when I tried it out were, were people that, I mean, I haven't spoken to in, in 10 years, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and suddenly you see all these people that have seen you. So there's, a, there's almost like, there's a little bit of, I wouldn't call it a privacy issue, but it's almost like a, it's, it's an awareness of how it works mm-hmm. that everyone, you know, that's got your phone number can essentially see that, that yeah. status, um, which yeah. can be, it wasn't obvious to me in the first mm. instance. And then I had to block some of those people because I'm, you know, these are people long out of my life and just, you know. Yeah, necessarily want them to see that. Yeah, so that was, but interesting that um, WhatsApp is, you know, I mean, they, they're hitting it from all angles. I mean, on April Fool's Day this this year where there were a few products like Atlassian's Jira who came out and joked saying, uh, we're releasing stories for Jira, you know, because everything, <laughs> their stories for Instagram stories. and for Facebook and for WhatsApp and, yeah. you know, so every things uh, about being about stories mm. well there's definitely an argument people are saying you know why why did facebook need to put stories on whatsapp when they've already got them on a messaging platform on facebook messenger but um whatsapp interestingly have a lot of traction in countries where snapchat and the likes don't have any users so because there it's are people, low bandwidth right it's super yeah. low bandwidth yeah so people who have never even heard of snapchat or snapchat yeah. stories they get introduced to whatsapp stories and that's the that's the beginning. That's the first step for them. Interesting. I mean, I think I know in countries like Kuwait and I think India, I mean, this whole business is built on WhatsApp. When I say business is built on them, their entire communication, it's a CRM system, mm. it's marketing system. <laughs> it's, it's all based on WhatsApp. So it's, um, yeah, it's a, uh, I would imagine those 175 million daily users would probably come from some of those yeah, mm. sort of markets where, where low bandwidth is, is more useful. Speaking of low bandwidth, Australia is very quickly becoming a country of low bandwidth compared <laughs> to other countries, right? <laughs> Why? Uh, oh, look, I mean, 
you know, I've signed up for our new government-funded NBN and just having endless issues with it and mm. lots of discussions around all sorts of countries that, quote-unquote, are, are less ad- advanced and less wealthier than Australia, but countries like Nepal, um, that people are just saying, Internet's great there, you know, and mm. um, it's, a, it's a big issue for Australia. It really is. And I know there's no easy solution. Do they say why? Lack of competition causes weird things, you know, and it's yeah. the one company funded by the like government. an environmental thing or a geographical. Well, that contributes to it in that it's a big country, yeah. right, that needs to be wired up. Um, but the fact that there's no competition, there's essentially one provider of this, it's called the NBN, and then the other provider, that, that provides the wholesale la- layer, and then other providers tap into that. But it, But there's only one provider of that oh. infrastructure. So... The fact that you don't have real competition, mm. this, is, this is what happens. And that's why competition is just so valuable to a marketplace. So anyway, we won't, we won't go down, down that path today. But uh, you're listening to Kevin Garber. I'm the CEO of Managed Flutter and soon to be Managed Social as well. I'm chatting with Kate Frappel, my co-host, who's the design lead at Managed Flutter and Managed Social. We're going to take a short break. And after the break, we're going to be talking to Daniel Knowlton, who's a co-founder of KP. Digital Marketing, and I talked to him all about uh, his road to entrepreneurship and um, social media marketing. So stay with us. We'll be back shortly. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error free. You're back with It's a Monkey Podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. I am the CEO and co-founder of Manage Flutter and soon to be Manage Social as well. Now, we have a lot of people that listen to the podcast. You might be one of them that's always wanted to start up their own business and or, or maybe in the process of starting up their own business. And it's a question I get asked a lot or even I see people and I chat to people and they always, they're like, oh, I wish I could start my own business and um, you know, I don't know how to take that first step. Well, I found someone who's sort of, I guess, relatively new in the journey of starting up their own business and he's also all across the social media landscape and I'm um, happy to say from from the UK, I've got uh, Daniel Knowlton, who's um, the co-founder of KPS Digital Marketing and also ranked as uh, within the top 20 of the most influential digital marketers on Twitter. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. I'm excited to be here, mate. So, so tell us a little bit about um, your story. I know you're still relatively early, but quite successful in your journey. Take us back to um, the start and what you were doing before you started your business. Sort of uh, to tell us sure. just a little bit about yourself. Sure. So, I've always always been interested in business from a long, young age. I've I've been really really lucky with my parents. I've had great parents, especially. 
in a business sense, my dad, he's, you know, he's like a business veteran. He's, he's done some really great stuff. So he, he really, from a, from a really, really young age has inspired me to want to get into business. Um, and even when I was at school, I was like selling sweets. I was built a small eBay business when I was really young. So I've always been that kind of entrepreneurial business type person. And I suppose my kind of marketing career, so to speak, started when I did a business management with marketing degree at Brighton University Mm -hmm. in the UK. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did that for four years. Uh, The first year I kind of got into the the uni party mode and just didn't do much work. So I was 1% away from failing my first year. And for those who know about the UK university scene, it's impossible to fail your first year. So I did pretty (laughs) rubbish. I did pretty rubbish my first year. And I kind of was like, crap, I actually need to like pull my finger out and do some work. So in my second and third final year, I really pulled my finger out, worked, worked my ass off and um, I managed to get a first in business management and marketing, which was crazy from, from just not doing any work. So, I mean, after that, all of my friends were going off traveling. They were having loads of fun and I wanted to do that, but I also have been so driven, so kind of inspired by my dad that I, I knew I had to just get on the career ladder to get some some real experience. So I applied to a ton of jobs. Got I failed so many times, went to loads of interviews and finally I got a job at a large blue chip organization up in London uh-huh. and I kind of worked my way up the ranks there the company work you incredibly, incredibly hard, a huge amount of hours, but they really invest in, in teaching you and giving you experience to, to not only kind of run, run a business, but all the different elements of working with people, communication skills, all of that and sales. So I, I really worked hard there. I did, I did really well there. One of the quickest promoted in the company that they, they'd ever seen and worked really, really hard. However, after a year of working there, I was knackered. I was tired. I just, I wasn't, feeling it Kevin I was like working so many hours and not getting much in return so I quit burnt out it's 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 a it's quite a well-known strategy of companies to take young hungry people work them to the bone and then they get spat out at the other end (laughs) you know there's a there's a there's a time limit to the amount that a human being can can work at that intensity exactly and I just had enough Kevin I was just putting money in someone else's pocket and working all those hours so so I basically quit I went went traveling around Thailand uh, which was amazing for a month and then I kind of while I was in Thailand I kind of got to think about what I really wanted to do I started to actually build my own kind of personal brand mainly on Twitter mm-hmm. and just kind of I was I was reading a lot about how you can use social media marketing content to build a brand and I was actually just in the trenches doing that stuff sharing what I was learning sharing the strategies I'd learned um, and really building up my own kind of personal brand on social media this was before I even thought about starting a business so I was already doing a lot of the stuff beforehand. So yeah, I was I was kind of using the strategies I was learning. I was consuming so much content, constantly reading, constantly looking at all the resources online like Social Media Examiner, Digital Marketer, Content Marketing Institute. And I was just like an absolute sponge taking all these strategies, trying them and, and having a lot of success with them. Obviously, I was failing in some areas, but I'd learn from that and I'd improve and I'd grow. And then after a while, I kind of thought I can actually help other businesses do this. I'd had success with it. I'd I'd, I'd, I'd learned from my mistakes. So, so I pretty much went out and started KPS Digital Marketing just over about to go and started working with small SMEs, providing training, pretty much just going out there saying, look, this is what I've learned. This is what I've done. Let me show you how to do it. And then that really started to work as well. 
started to win bigger contracts. My brother came on board, which has been one of the biggest and best things I've ever done. Got a partner in the business who has lots of great skills that I don't have. That's one thing that we did to really change things up. And then we started to win much bigger contracts with the, the big county councils, with multinational organizations. And we've we just, we're just incredibly, incredibly passionate about digital marketing and we absolutely love what we do and that really helps. And it's kind of been a roller coaster and that's how we've got to, to where we are today. Sorry, but you broke up at the moment where you said uh, um, how long you've actually, how long ago you actually started the business? It was just around two years ago now. Around two years ago. So it's still very, very early in the piece. And I think what what's so exciting is I'm... Uh, I, I've been around a little while and I started up my businesses um, when when all this you know, these social media networks didn't exist and to build your personal brand and to build relationships was very painstaking, very tough. It was a whole different environment and what's so exciting about the social media side of things is yes, there's a lot of um, you know, it is competitive and there's a, a lot of noise out there, but it's, it's certainly, um, it's certainly still opportunity for people to, to, to scale their capability and their efforts in ways that pre-social media, um, wasn't possible at all. You can still become a thought leader in your niche or in your niche of your niche or in a niche in a geography, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the opportunities are really, really unlimited and social media just lets you access them in such a you know, convenient, um, scalable manner. I completely agree, Kevin. I, I, I still think that not enough people are actually taking advantage of the exact thing you've just said, though. Like there's still people in in the jobs like I was in where they're they're working incredibly long hours, not getting much in return, but they're not doing anything about it, and it's just it's just crazy. So, and you also mentioned one other important aspect that you brought on your brother and uh, business partner is 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 uh, definitely a, an important part of the journey to help you through the the tough times. And I think you know there's a lot of schools of thought around working with family as well. It's a type of thing that when yep. it works well, it really works well. But when the wheels come mm. off, boy, can they c- come off? There's a famous family in Australia, <laughs> one of the richest families, a mining family where um, it's just been so much unhappiness over wow. fighting over wealth. But um, I've also seen examples where it works incredibly well because there's trust and there's, there's you know, implicit understanding and uh, you can just get on and, and uh, build a business together. You're, you're so right. I mean, we've, we've been incredibly lucky that we get on so well and we don't argue. We, we genuinely, you know, us working together, it, it provides a much greater service for our customers because we've got completely different skills and and we just know that we're working towards the same goal and it works really well. So, I mean, what, what has been, you know, I guess what has been the greatest surprise on your journey so far, either a good or a bad surprise? Um, for me, really, the biggest surprise, I guess, has been just the time it takes to 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 get what you want i mean i'm at i've kind of in a short space of time we as a company have done done quite well but we've got much bigger goals in mind and it's just it did surprise me how long it takes to actually for people to start to to really want to work with you it's not just an instant thing you need to you need to you know get good at it you need to to show people that you're good at it and it that was the biggest surprise just the time it takes and that, how patient you've got to be it's, the sales cycle be, yeah. right is the sales cycle the time of the sales cycle 
Yeah, it's so much longer. I, th- you know, I was quite naive starting out, thinking, "Brilliant, you meet someone, then you say you you can help them, you show them how, and then it's done." But no, and definitely you, not. And it's usually, like, the bigger the company, the bigger the prospect, the longer the sales cycle is. Exactly, and we've more recently come to realise that since pitching for bigger bigger companies, it's it's a long, long winded process, and you really have to to build those relationships over time. It's not a quick win. You need to people need to like you, and they they need to want to work with you before you can just suddenly click your fingers, send a proposal in or an action plan, and boom, you get the job. It doesn't work like that. I think that's a very valuable point. Where um, you know someone once told me that people like to do business with people that they like. I mean, it's a pretty obvious statement, but we forget about it sometimes. And even being a CEO where I I recruit people now, you also like to work with people or team members that you like as well. And, um, you know, particularly in the technical side of the industry where, where people don't necessarily see the value of relationships. Um, you know, they're very, very focused on, on, on technology and coding and, and what that can deliver. But at the end of the day, every business is a, is a human business, is a people business. And um, people like doing and working with people that they like. So it's definitely worthwhile always considering everything from a relationship perspective. Yeah, and I also think just kind of backing up what you're saying, Kevin. Some I think that that people listening to this should, whatever they're doing, audit their current kind of funnel or their sales process. Literally stop and look at what is it you do before you go in for the kill and going for the sale. How many times are you actually meeting that person, speaking to them, engaging with them, having chats? Because for us, one thing we've we've recently actually done is really looked at our sales funnel and actually changed it up completely and 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 made sure that the the whole relationship building steps are that there's more of them before we go in for the this is what we can do for you this is how much it's going to cost and i think i'm a great believer that everyone should be in a sales role at least once in their life i think it's an incredible skill to learn i mean whether you like it or not or even whether you live in a capitalist society or not there are so many aspects of life that is about sales and I don't mean sales in the sort of uh, there's people that aren't involved in sales don't really understand sometimes you know sales has got a bad name and they picture they picture this sort of you know spammy type of sleazy guy that just you know just trying to push something on you that you that you don't want that's not sales I don't know what that is that's uh, that's bullying (laughs) but uh, bad sales but you know sales sales is actually Uh, One of the misconceptions, I believe, sales is actually a listening process. It's not a talking process, and that surprises people when I tell them that. And sales is about presenting the best version of yourself and the best version of your company as well. And it's a very subtle, nuanced, fascinating process. And excellent salespeople are actually psychologically-minded people experts. And it's uh, it's been fascinating for me. I I once worked with a chap in in one of my previous businesses. Um, He was an ex American football player, very physically sort of had an incredible physical presence. He's the only sales chap I worked with. We were selling in the early days of email marketing, newsletters for corporates, and he was the only salesperson I've worked with that could get a sign-off in the first meeting. 
Wow. You know, in the first part, it was, yeah, I've never seen it, never heard of it, but this, and he would have, you know, he was just an incredibly likable guy and he had incredible skills of building rapport and it was quite fascinating to watch him sort of in the field, so to speak. I also started out doing a lot of cold calling, which I believe everyone should do as well. But I think the days of that, I don't think many businesses do cold calling these Mm. days and it probably doesn't really work much, I would say. Yeah, I don't know. I'm... (laughs) I understand that cold calling works or has worked in certain situations and there's obviously big examples of that in some places but for me it just completely goes against our whole ethos of calling people when they don't want you to speak to them and trying to sell when they don't want to be sold to. I I think for us we use a complete inbound approach where we put lots of stuff out there show what we're made of show examples of what we've done and people come to us and the, the reason that's better for us is because when, when you try and really convert someone when you're trying to convert someone that doesn't want to be converted you're always on the back foot you're always trying to show them oh we can help you we can achieve that we can achieve this we don't ever work with people who aren't fully fully confident in us and i think that's a that's a point that a lot of other businesses listening to this should really think about who are they choosing to work with and i think um these cold calling days when days pre-LinkedIn, pre-social media, pre-content marketing. Sales was a very different animal then. And I think there are you know, endless opportunities to create that inbound marketing. And I think it makes a lot of sense for everyone. Cold calling and back in the day, it was a numbers game and it sort of would get you somewhere. But the, the approach today is much more sensi- sensible for everyone. It's, it's really, I agree with you. You know, you want to, you want to try and um, sort of appeal to people that's, that need a service, maybe not necessarily your service yet, but are mm. in the market for a service they, that you're offering, not just a scattergun approach, because that's at least 90% of your efforts is going to be lost on a scattergun approach. Exactly. And I mean, answer me honestly, Kevin, have you ever received a cold call that you enjoyed? Um, very, very seldom. Uh, I have been... You know, I think in the UK you got what they call, we got them as well, called chuggers, charity muggers. You know, there's people that oh, walk right, up to that? you. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, you know, people that walk up to you and they, you know, and they wanting to get a charity. Um, oh yeah. And regular yeah. and a similar thing. I've 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 had one in San Francisco who was she was an incredibly charming, delightful conversationalist and I actually enjoyed having a chat about what she, what she does in organization the rest of the time it's just an absolute pain an absolute pest so <laughs> I agree with you you know why why take an approach towards others that that you don't want exactly to, to, towards yourself I mean let's let's talk about the whole that that personal brand side of things I mean Reed Hoffman who's the founder of LinkedIn he wrote a book I think about this and sort of saying we're moving to an environment of uh where everyone in a way is going to be like a little business and uh, you know whether you're sure. a freelancer or you're a contractor and he talks about and I tend to agree with him and I think everyone should to some degree think about how they create their personal brand whether it's thought leadership or being an expert it doesn't matter if even if you're in a job you know and I think what will be surprising is is if people create some thought leadership and expertise if they do want to create some business out of that there'll be three quarters Mm. of the way there right yeah i mean one thing i just picked up on you mentioned creating a personal brand i I honestly don't think 
anyone creates a personal brand mm -hmm. the personal your personal brand just happens and it evolves so uh, over time depending on your experiences and what you've done so every single person right now has some kind of personal brand i mentioned this last night on the social roi twitter chat mm -hmm. um the people that think they don't want to get involved with the personal brand they don't want you know they don't want to grow a personal brand that's irrelevant you've already got one so this is why people need to think and you know your listeners everyone needs to think about what are they doing to positively develop their own personal brand because if they're doing zilch then that's going to have a negative impact on them as a person them as a business and the people around them so they re people really need to start thinking about what are they doing to positively develop their personal brand i think basically what i hear you saying is that whether you like it or not, by definition, you've got a personal brand because you're a living, breathing thing. And um, you may as well be the one who takes control of your personal brand, right? If anyone is yeah, in a good position sure. to... Um, and uh, yeah, I agree with you. You know, it should be an extension. No one's saying be who you are not. I think that doesn't serve anything. We're lucky enough to live in a, a time and a place where an authentic path will probably lead to payoffs. So just be an authentic extension of yourself. But it will definitely, if, if you yeah take control over your, your own personal brand and at, at least, um, you know, it surprises me, hire a, lot, I hire a lot of developers at Manage Flutter and Manage Social. And most developers are incredibly smart people. It's one of the reasons I like working with them. But there's so mm -hmm. few that have, have, so few that really surface how good they are or what they've been involved with in a very easy manner. Creating a simple mm -hmm. website or really fleshing out a LinkedIn profile with, with um, nice recommendations or having a Twitter account that's not just a test Twitter account for services they've, they've integrated yeah, with. Yeah, nice. Uh, you know, which always, which always makes me smile. Or even at the very, very least, a well-formatted resume. Um, you know, pay but, someone three hundred bucks to to mm. present your resume well, instead of um, you know just. And I see ninety percent of uh, engineers and developers just do not mm. even just present a resume or have a website, and it's 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 quite remarkable, really. It's also got to do with the fact that yeah. they're in high demand, regardless of mm. the quality of the resume. So there is a little bit of that factor. They can afford to be lazy. I get that, but you make a great point, Kevin. I think if there's any developers listening now, this is a huge, huge opportunity for them to actually take advantage of this because it's there's not many people doing it. Yes, there's high demand for them now, but I still think think of, think of what they could be doing if a ton more people knew about them, or if they 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 built a presence online, they built some kind of community online. Think think where they'd be in relation to where they are now. I think you're completely right. It's just not enough developers are building up their own personal brand and it's it's just a huge opportunity yeah and i think and it might be lost on some young people because they've grown up with it but the the ability to 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 and and again i don't like the phrase build your personal brand because it may lead you know has the insinuation that to build something that you're not but i guess to mm. to showcase the best version of yourself through social media and particularly even as young people as well is just as someone who grew up mm. in a world without this is um, absolutely remarkable. I mean, when I was at high school and I had my first business selling customized stationery, the only way I could promote it was on physical notice boards at the high school. And I had, wow. and I had the grand total of 
one customer ever that I sold some <laughs> stationery to. Oh, my. Uh, I was lucky enough to uh, have a father interested in technology, and we had one of the first laser printers in South Africa, and he, yeah. hel- he helped me work out how we could develop like customized stationery pads. God, it sounds so archaic, and I'm really not that <laughs> old, you know. That's cool, though. That's, that's cool. Like, I can see your entrepreneurial flair there, Kevin. Oh, look, I mean, I, I, I always get a buzz out of creating something that people are willing to pay for. I mean, it's, it's, there's something you feel like you, you, you're contributing to the world and you, you're adding value. And uh, I don't know, maybe you feel the same way when each time you uh, – it never gets old signing a new deal or bringing on a new managed flitter customer. I mean, you could probably, you know, talk about that yourself. It's the best. It's the that that's the one thing that that me, my brother and I, we get complete buzz for. When you get that call or that email saying, "Yes, we want to do business with you," it's just we're on an absolute high. So, so that's why we've got this obsession with continuing to improve what we're doing to to get more of those highs. But the thing is, once you've got that, you've got that customer, you've got that high. That's not the end. You know, you can't just go getting loads of customers and not keeping them. So, so then is the hard slog of making sure you're 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 providing value for that customer, you're keeping that customer happy. So, I think it's it, difficult because all I want to do is just get the sales and then see you later. But to, to to have a successful business, it doesn't work like that. You have to keep them happy and obviously provide value, like you know, Kevin. I think, yeah, I think it's a classic error is that the adrenaline rush from getting new customers is wonderful. And um, keeping customers is far less glamorous, but far more important. And there are many companies, yes. even even big companies, right? Even the biggest of the bigs, the, the banks and the telcos, it always astounds me the amount of money they put into new special offers and billboards yeah. and sponsoring sports teams. And then you try yes. to get some help from them around yeah. something, right? They're too busy. <laughs> right. And, you, and, you, and it's like I always think, wow, you're probably bleeding so many customers because you, your, your service is ordinary. Now, if you just yeah. cut your marketing and, and put it onto the retention, I don't know. It's, it's yeah. It's, I think they, they are. Yeah, they are working that out slowly, but they're getting there. Well, I don't know, Kevin. The one for me, right, is phone companies, yeah, mobile yeah. phone companies. For the last 10 years, I've been up, upgrading my contract every two years. And at the end of the contract, they show you the offers for the people who are current customers. And on the website next to it, it says new customers. Yeah, and the offers are crazily better for the new customers. So what you have to do is cancel your contract change your number over and get a new contract because they, they just want to get the new people new people in and they don't give a crap about the, the current yeah. customers. It, it's, it pees it, me off. It's the same in Australia. Like whenever I see that, you know, excludes existing customers, I, it always jars me. I think that's exactly the opposite. You know, <laughs> it's, so you're saying, okay, I've been a customer, you know, you've been a customer for 10 years, but sorry, you can't get this, you know, latest deal. Yeah. It's just, it's, what is that about? Yeah, it's, it's, it is very peculiar i mean it should be offers for existing customers it's they haven't sort of self-reflected on the psychology that they they're confident with their existing customers so they got to treat their new customers better so yeah it's Mm, very uh, it's there's lots of opportunity there speaking of opportunities daniel tell us about some people that listen to this podcast are, are as i mentioned wanting to take that next step of of, of building their own business. What are some of the niches that you see, um, you know, whether it's 
social cons- media consulting or helping out with contents or anything mm-hmm. that you see as areas that are low picking fruits for someone that's been in a corporate job for a while and, or even just straight out of uni um, that you see that there's a there's there's nice low picking fruits for them to start with and build sure. a business around. I mean- I'm kind of going to turn the question on its head, Kevin, because mm-hmm. I, I don't think they should do that. And let me explain why. I, I don't think people should really be looking for I mean, low-hanging fruit and just going for that. Mm-hmm. What I think they should be, be doing is reverse engineering what they're passionate about and what they're good at and then go out and see if there's any areas uh, where they could take advantage of low-hanging fruit. I think too many people try and just just get on board with the new shiny thing. Oh, social media is taking off. Let me become a social media expert. Mm-hmm. It, it, you, to, to really, really, truly be successful, like you know, like you've had a lot of success, Kevin, in in the space you're in, is you've got to have a passion for it. You've got to want to do it. You've got to live it, breathe it, um, before you just try and jump on the new shiny thing. So I think your your listeners, first of all, need to really. Um, audit themselves and and kind of look at right let me write down the five things that I'm most passionate about in life even if it's like eating peanut butter or or whatever just write down like the five most passionate things you're things you're passionate about and then write down the five things that you're best at what are the things that you do like it could be you're an amazing sports player it could be you're amazing at writing books or whatever it is and then cross-reference those to see are there any crossovers of things that you're incredibly passionate about and things that you're incredibly good at and if you are lucky enough to have something that that crosses at the top where you're really passionate about it and you're incredibly good at it that is where you can become incredible at whatever it is you do i feel though that there is a third element that they got to cross check against um, and that is is if it's commercially viable and there's a demand for it. You know, I think there is a yeah. reality. You know, I think a lot of people would like to be rock stars or professional, yeah. you know, want to travel the world and get paid for it. And, you know, Mark Andreessen, who I'm sure you've heard of, is a famous VC and, and entrepreneur and created Netscape. And and he's, you know, he's written a great piece on why um, um, the advice of, doing what you love yeah. isn't always the best thing. So I tend to agree well, with you that- up, up, up to a point, but there are some constraints, I think, that people need to work within as well. But maybe I'm just being incredibly pragmatic as I, I tend to more the pragmatic side of things. No, no, no. I, 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 I do completely agree with you, Kevin. And that is kind of in the back of your mind that needs to be a given that you don't, you know, you can't go out there and just become a rock star. Like you said, that, 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 that's not commercially viable. Um, but it's definitely something you need to think about. But on the other hand, I don't think people should go out with the commercially viable as a being at the front end, because yes, you could, you could, you could, there, there could be a really good opportunity for developers, but you could spend all the time learning how to become a great developer. You could get really good at it, but then you could absolutely hate it. And yeah, like, no, and, and you could be the most successful one in the world, but if you're not happy, then what's the point? However, I do still completely agree with your point, Kevin. It's got to be commercially viable, otherwise it wouldn't work. Yeah. And I, and I think, and, and you may have a sense of this as well. And, and I think a lot about this and, and chat to, um, the close people in my life is about this, that, you, you know, for me, entrepreneurship's a calling. And and I think if you're lucky enough to be able to, um, you know, go with your calling in life, and, and that also means that any path, um, any path that's a calling, and, and, and any path, in fact, has got ups and downs as well. And entrepreneurship, I think, is... Um, 
you know, like some other professions, like being a rock star or whatever, I think, I think it is over-glamorized. And particularly at the moment, there's almost this cult of entrepreneurship. But the level of commitment that you need to, to build a business, you know, I don't think people really understand it until they get involved because you will have incredibly tough times. I can give you a 100% guarantee <laughs> that you will have incredible tough times. There's a very high yeah. likelihood that you'll have near-death experiences. When I say near-death, your business will have near-death experiences, yeah. hopefully not you. And yeah. that, that commitment comes from that commitment comes from a calling. So I don't want to I want to encourage mm. people to give it a go. And the worst that can happen is, you know, it doesn't work out and you mm. you'll, you'll but at the same time, the, the commitment is something that um, you, you definitely do need to, starting is starting is easy, finishing is is hard. Yeah. I, I I mean I'm so glad you said that, Kevin. I I talk a lot about smoke and mirrors and there's a, a ton of entrepreneurs out there that, that put up this front that it's all glamorous Ferraris and private jets. And it's not, it's literally, it, you know, if you're, if you're actually running a successful company it's, or you're a successful entrepreneur, it's never like that. It's, it's a lot of hard work, like you said. And I think people need to stop thinking that it is just the glamorous champagne lifestyle. It's, it's working you know, crazy amounts of hours. It's not seeing your friends, not seeing your family as much because you want to make this work. And they really, really do need to understand that. So I'm glad you said that. Yeah, and Kevin Rose, who's the founder of Dig, and I've said this before on the podcast, he's he said, I wouldn't wish being a CEO on my worst enemy, you know. But <laughs> but on the flip side, someone else tweeted around that, said, you know, see, being a CEO is... Um, it's, it is incredibly one of the toughest gigs in the world, but it's also a great privilege as well. So we also shouldn't get too… rewarding. Yeah, and we shouldn't, you know, the fact that we've got the opportunity to give it a go. So I don't want to, if someone's listening to this podcast, I, I'm, you know, I believe everyone can create a quote-unquote lifestyle business of some sort. Everyone's, you know, maybe I'm contradicting what I said earlier, but, it, but everyone's good enough at something to, to have a replaceable income. I mean, I, I had to get… Um, Long story, I had to, I bought a new fridge, it wouldn't fit in my kitchen, I had to hire someone to take off the, the door to my kitchen and I used an app that I think it's only Australia based called Airtasker and um, right. a chap came to, to remove the door and he was an ex-investment banker. And he really? said he's, he always had a passion. He was a derivatives trader at one of the big investment banks. And he said he got really sick of it. And he was always wanting to start up his own business. And he's loved doing handyman work. And this app sort of matches people who need small tasks with uh, people that mm -hmm. are willing to supply it. And he built up a very successful, when I say very successful, he's earning as much as he did at the investment bank. Um, it probably will never be a, a Facebook or a Google, but he's now, yeah. um, you know, free to do his own thing. And he's got his, wow. and, uh, you know, he found the way. There, there are these great platforms these days for mm. whatever you do, whether it's Etsy, if you're a creative person or, yeah. you know, there are these platforms where you can sell goods and sell services within your niche and kickstart it and get it going. I agree. And I, just to pick up on something you said about everyone's got a kind of skill or something that they can use to as a business, I think even if they haven't or people don't think they have, everyone has this amazing resource which can teach them how to do anything and it's called the internet and they can learn how to do whatever they want to do. If they put passion behind it and they, they, they use the internet in a clever way, you can learn anything. Like I pretty much self-taught all of my digital stuff 
all of the stuff we do, social, digital content from just learning online. You know, I did a degree, but I didn't learn anything about digital in my degree. It's all self-taught. So anyone can learn anything online. They just need to learn how to use the internet. And isn't that, isn't that so incredible? Like it's, uh, you know, again, and I talk about this with younger friends who grew up with it and older friends who didn't. And, you know, in my day, universities had a monopoly on uh, information education essentially through their courses and through their libraries. Now you could probably literally learn how to do dentistry on youtube literally i mean it's, you it's that it's that incredible and i i think you know what we're saying now is you don't have an excuse anymore you know you really don't no. have an excuse to learn something and and share it with someone else there's always someone willing to pay for consulting or lessons mm. or you know and there's niches within niches so the, um you know i hope if you are listening to this podcast i hope if one thing if there's one person that starts a business or, or tries to start a business from i'll be happy <laughs> absolutely and please let us know you can email us through and and let us know if we've motivated you and perhaps we can even yeah. mentor you tweet me uh, yeah <laughs> along the way daniel one one last question before before we wrap up i know you all across the social media side of things and people are always asking me as they probably asking you you know where's it all going mm. what should i i can't do all of them sure. if you give a little bit of advice to the the lay of the land as to there's Twitter's not the flavor of the month, but still got lots of opportunity. Instagram's evolving sure. at the rate of knots. Snapchat is, well, yeah. so give us a little bit of a synopsis of the, of the sure. marketplace. So the whole social media space is changing. As, as you've probably seen, Kevin, it's, the platforms are evolving into storytelling platforms. If we look at what Snapchat did, Snapchat started this kind of evolution of social media where it's now all about telling an authentic story. So we look, then Instagram stories came in, Facebook stories, even WhatsApp has got a WhatsApp status, which is a similar thing. So so as, as entrepreneurs, as businesses, you need to really be thinking, wait a minute, the biggest social platforms in the world are evolving towards storytelling. So surely that's showing you that people are are interested in stories so uh, as entrepreneurs as businesses we need to be thinking how can we better tell our story and communicate our story across social and we haven't got the time to use every platform you know we haven't got unlimited resources and unlimited time so what you need to do is truly think about three things when choosing your social platform first of all you need to think about where are your audience. There's no point going on Instagram if you're trying to grow a business and none of your potential customers are there. So it's really important to know your audience. Second, it's really important to know what skills do you have and which platforms do those skills match? Because every different plat social platform requires a different set of skills. You know, Twitter is all about networking. Do you have someone in your team who's incredibly good at speaking to people when having conversations? Instagram is all about high quality photography um, and imagery. So do you have someone who can create that kind of artwork and use that on Instagram? So really, you need to audit your own business and your team. What skills do they have? And finally, you need to think about and this is a bit fluffy, Kevin, but I think it's really important. Which of these platforms do you and your team really enjoy using? Because if you're going out there just for the sake of it, jumping on every platform and you're not enjoying it, you're, you're going to be not using your time effectively rather than if you were using other platforms where you're enjoying using it, your audience are there and you've got the skills to use it properly. And one more thing I just want to say, Kevin. Mm hmm. It's with these social platforms. I mentioned you can't be on every single platform, but it is absolutely crucial that you do not just focus on building some kind of audience on a single platform. 
That is so, so, so important. You need to be on at least a few platforms because if Facebook goes down, if Twitter goes down, where are you going to be? Where is your community going to be? So that's such an important point. I think you know your listeners really need to understand that, Kevin. So mitigate your risk. At least be on two of them. So if, um, if sure if if one of them sort of tends to tends to go backwards in terms of interest and and engagement, at least you've spent at least you've got a little bit of a head start on another one, right? Yeah, but even better than that. Build a base on your website, something that you actually own that isn't rented land. Try and guide people back to your your website and use that as a resource to then build relationships, nurture and provide value because that's not going to go down. That's yours. Email, email databases, right? Don't forget about the good old-fashioned email databases. You'll control that and uh, they're pretty valuable as well. Exactly. I, yeah. the, wh- one, one point that you made, um, Daniel, which was, in, I think, incredibly valuable that gets lost today, storytelling, right? Now, pe- people, I, I think there's so much obsession with likes and retweets and engagements and automation. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, if you think about old school marketing, right? I mean, I mean, we've got a lot to learn from old school marketers and old school ad people where it was about emotion and it was about evoking vocative type of experiences, creating, you know, emotion and, and, and creating those stories. And today, I feel there's been such a, you know, we've forgotten about that and such an obsession with the, the, the technical details you know, if I post this time, do I get more retweets? And if I post through an app, do I lose, you know, on their algorithm, etc. Old school marketing is still going to really work. Why? Because human beings are wired for stories for millions of years. Exactly. That's, that's, that's how we learn. That's how we share. That's how we have cultural experiences. It's all about storytelling. Exactly. And those that old school marketing method you're talking about, Snapchat, Instagram stories, Facebook stories, storytelling on social, that is the new version of that. That's applying those old school storytelling, emotion triggering marketing tactics to the new social media space. So if, 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 if you're listening to this and you're not currently documenting, showing your story in some kind of content on social media, then you're seriously, seriously missing out. And you really need to think about what you're doing because it's so important to start telling your story. And there's no easier way than to use these social platforms that are pure built to tell your story, like Snapchat, Instagram stories, Facebook stories. And no matter what business you have, or no matter what type of um, you know individual consultancy you have, and even if you're selling you know widgets or something very quote-unquote boring, Human lives are always interesting. Business experience is always interesting. You've, someone else is always interested in your story, right? So you mustn't worry. I hear, I hear a lot of people that they're worried about. Well, we, even you meet people sometimes and they say, oh, I'm only an accountant or I'm only a this. Yeah, you that know? makes me sad. It is sad, right? Because it's like, I mean, I was at the dentist this afternoon and I and, and in a way, I love going there because I chat about technology and the latest dental technology, and I, I find it fascinating. And and there's every industry is pretty fascinating to me, even an accounting yeah. industry. Or so you know, there's there are things to there are stories to share everywhere. So no matter what type of business you are, you definitely can 
can can uh, make use of that and you can start small and you can experiment i think people do get overwhelmed they don't know where to start and they get into this paralysis mm. but pick one or two things and you know even even if you start doing it not particularly well that's okay just get some momentum get better. yeah get better and get some momentum and follow people like yourself and uh, there's yeah. tons of uh, resources out there and they may even start enjoying it and that's when it will really come to life right Exactly. I just want to add one thing to that, Kevin, as well. Mm -hmm. um, I completely agree that people need to stop worrying and actually get out there and do stuff before they, they're they absolutely perfect. However, they also, a, a big, big thing I, I think people need to do is invest even a small amount of time in educating yourself in how to develop some kind of strategy. Mm -hmm. Even if it's an ultra basic strategy, just before you jump out there doing random stuff, try and have some kind of organized way and reasoning behind why you're doing what you're doing. Because if you're just doing random stuff, then yes, you may be getting used to the platforms, but it's it will be so much more beneficial and valuable to you as a person, as a business, if you actually educate yourselves and develop some kind of small strategy. And there's so so many resources out there there's so many fantastic so many. resources and i know you've shared them before we'll put them on on the show notes daniel so much so much to talk about i know we've gone a little bit all over the place but that's one of the great things about a podcast is uh, we do it so that we can just see where it goes a bit of long form and um, you know people can can listen while they're exercising or etc so yeah. i know we've covered a I've few different it. Likewise, I mean, enjoyed a few different different angles. Of course, you were also on the uh, Managed for the Social ROI chat talking about personal branding. And uh, by the time this podcast is up and people are listening to it, um, the recap's probably on our blog. And there were some really fantastic insights there about um, personal branding. And it was definitely, there was a lot of great contributions from people that were on the chat. I really, really enjoyed it. The Twitter chats are really a fantastic a fantastic niche little uh, little exercise I, I really enjoy them yeah i agree thank you I so agree. much for, really jo for joining us on the podcast daniel really appreciate it um, we've been chatting to daniel Knowlton, who's the co-founder of kps digital marketing and also a, a leading influential digital marketer on twitter and we're going to be putting up all these links on the show notes as usual so if you want to connect with them and learn more about social media strategy and um, what they do etc check out the show notes at it's a monkey.com and thank you again so much for your time Thanks so much, Kevin. It's been fun. Hi, my name is Dave Zarati, and I'm the customer support specialist here at ManageFlitter. ManageFlitter is a tool that helps you work faster and smarter on Twitter. With ManageFlitter, you can clean up and grow your Twitter account. You will also get access to useful Twitter analytics, social content scheduling, and much more. Go to ManageFlitter.com and start your free trial today. Kate, I always get excited by... Um Success stories, entrepreneurial success stories, um, as we've spoken about a lot of the times on, on the show, it's, it's a passion of mine and I, I, love, I love hearing the passion in people. You can hear whatever business, not only online business, you can, even if it's a cafe that's doing well, or you, you, you just talk to the business owners and you can just, you can just always sense the buzz. Yes, yeah, they, um, they sort of find their niche and their passion and uh, you can tell when they're definitely enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, definitely a, a very, very big niche. A lot of people are trying to make sense of social. Social is just changing. Every few months, it's, it's, it's very confusing for companies how to approach social, how to get value mm -hmm. out of it. Yet it is extremely powerful, and it is the layer 
that we all exist on. So companies need to be on this social layer and who knows what next week, next year is going to entail. There's VR coming, there's AR coming, there's, you know, where social is going to mix in with all of that. So, um, you know, the velocity is just going to continue. So people like Daniel that can help businesses make sense of it are, are going to do very well. Definitely. Uh, I liked his point about uh, reverse engineering uh, what you were passionate about. So mm-hmm. finding finding the things you're good at and then finding the things that interest you and uh, and then looking at where they overlap. And also then looking at another overlap point where, where there's a market for them. Yes. That's important. You made that point. Yes. And, and uh, I, I do feel strongly about that point because I do think sometimes the mythology of follow your dream and you'll make money out of it is overstated a little bit. Yeah. Maybe it's my my practical nature because yes people do make a living out of as gary v said today going to peru and painting with tomatoes but i don't know if many people do <laughs> love it <laughs> um, it's it's there's a reason why so many of us work in tech there's a reason why so many of us work in social media do that many people love tech is it just so happens that suddenly that many people love tech no mm-hmm. it's, it's it's where the jobs are right i come from johannesburg a gold mining town there was a gold yeah. rush there people were selling spades to dig out the gold right is it because they had a passion for spades no but there's a there's a there needs to be a pragmatism so it, it is a little bit dangerous i feel but yes to find that overlap i think you can find something you love and enjoy and something that there's a market for yeah i mean sometimes you can maybe think about it in a, a bigger scale so instead of saying oh i really like social media and so does the rest of the world you say oh, i like connecting Right, so it's like a broader term and then you look at ways that you can make a business out of connecting and networking and that type of thing. And I I believe we like we live in the West, we live in a time and era where we can configure our careers in a way that it's fulfilling, you know, Mm. which is wonderful. So I I do absolutely believe you shouldn't be hating what you do, but... um, there has to be a, a bit of a market for it. And, um, you know, there are. There, yes, there's a lot of sub-niches within social. Definitely. You know, if you're passionate about animals, you can help, I don't know, you know, companies that, that work with animals to do their social and then you do both type thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, on a bit of a side note, but still kind of relevant, I, um, I'm reading Mark Manson's latest book. Mm-hmm. and uh, That's How Not to Give an F, right? Uh, the subtle art, the subtle, the subtle art. art of not giving an F, uh-huh. <laughs> and um, and he sort of points out, which I found really interesting, is that every sort of decision that you make is going to bring its own set of problems, and uh-huh. instead of just constantly seeking happiness, you've got to seek the problems that you're willing to live with. And in other words, as I coin it, right, you got to choose your bag of shit. Yes. Right. There's always going to be a bag of shit, whether you own a business or whether you're an employee or if you have a relationship with X person or Y person, there's a bag of shit. And it's just which bag you want to deal with. Definitely. Yeah. And that's certainly a good lesson to learn. And um, and being a business owner and entrepreneur is, is, is a huge privilege and a huge joy, but there are many, many bags of shit there. Mm. You know, man. But that would come with the, with the different niches as well. 
um, going course. back to social media and stuff like if you're going to be on social do you want to deal with the complaints if you hate dealing with complaints then it's probably not a good idea to and go into social with, <laughs> and dealing with all the networks right like exactly you know facebook's got its quirks and things don't work today and tomorrow in their terms of service and all of all of those things but you know if you want to be a school teacher you have other quirks i was working in the park yesterday you know we're lucky enough to live in sydney and we've had a beautiful autumn or as the americans call it fall and just sunshine every day and i've been sitting and working in the park a bit and yesterday i was in a park and there was um, a group of of kindergarten kids you know yeah. gosh, they must have been i don't know three or four years old with the teacher and cute as all hell you know sitting there yeah. with their little hats on and i was watching this <laughs> teacher and she was loving it you know and i was just mm. thinking wow that's what a lovely job that is i'm sure look i mean mm. you know to change nappies and deal with snotty noses and there's there's her literal mm. bag of shit right yeah and uh, <laughs> kate's pulling a very um a very distinct um unimpressed it's face nice. now no. i don't think she'd enjoy that job but no yeah it's easy to <laughs> my point is from the outside it's easy to glamorize you know i saw this beautiful 20 sweetest you know innocent kids and, yeah. and but you know i'm sure she has to deal with the kicking and screaming so what she didn't realize is one of them ran away behind her back and now she's in a panic trying to look for them. That's it, right? I mean, yesterday I had, and this is a total aside, but I had a very funny experience on the train in Sydney. Um, there was a, a woman alone with a kid and mm. a pram. Now, she was holding the kid's hand, right, and the pram in the other hand. She arrived at her station and someone, she couldn't work out how to sort of coordinate both off the train without mm. causing any issues and doing it safely. So some guy saw her and helped, uh, you know, move the pram. The kid stayed inside the, the, the carriage while this guy helped just lift the pram over the gap. And, and she was sorting out her pram and checking everything was there. Part of a, like a little blanket fell in the gap and she looked Aww. in the gap. Long story short, she had totally forgotten about her kid and her kid was just standing in the cabin and the time was ticking. This all happened, mm -hmm. you know, within seconds. And I looked and I, I couldn't work out because I had just arrived on the platform. I couldn't work out if this was a kid, but I saw immediately what happened and I just, you know, I didn't want to, I was tempted to reach in and just pick up the kid because I saw what was going on. But then I was worried that they'd get scared by me and I just yelled out to this <laughs> woman. Yeah, and so I yelled out to this woman, hey, 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 is that yours? And I pointed to the kid, is that yours? Is that yours? And she was like, oh yeah. She reached in quickly and picked up the kid and it was all just, uh. was this poor little, and it was a tiny kid. I mean, three, four years old. If that kid, I mean, it would have been okay. It's in Sydney. You know, the kid would have made its, found oh. its way back, but the poor little kid was about it. Just innocently Take off standing. Take on the train. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Couldn't imagine. It was it was funny. As a kid, I freaked out because I lost my mom in the uh, in the shopping center. She was in the aisle, two aisles up, probably not even. And I went the other way, and I thought she was gone. Oh, and it's, 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 I can it's only imagine for a kid. It's that poor child kid. on this train going God knows where. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it had a happy ending, so that that was fine. Um, I think mothers get overwhelmed sometimes. Anyway, that's episode number 92 of the It's a Monkey podcast. Please email us at podcastitsamonkey.com. Tweet us. We're always looking for guests. We've had great um, emails with uh, future guests coming on the show, so look forward to some great future guests. I'd love it if you would tell a, a couple of people about this podcast. This podcast has grown by word of mouth. And also, uh, previous episode, episode 91, we spoke with Zeriab Chima, who's a... Uh, a Sydney entrepreneur, only 20 years old, CEO of Hop and Alternative to Uber. And that was a fantastic chat as well. So go check that out at itsamonkey.com. We will hopefully see you in a week's time. So wherever you are, have a great week and thanks for joining us. See ya.